Welcome, everyone. So this is our quarterly gathering that we um, organize for a couple reasons. Mostly, we come together to remind ourselves of something. In a way, the center and all the practices that we do are all about reminding us of, of something. And uh, so while we are here today, let's use this uh, time to remind ourselves of something. It's so easy for me and probably for most of you to uh, feel quite justified in being stressed and worrying and being discontent. And so, uh, you know, our minds are are very well trained to be critical and to be able to analyze all the things that are deficient in our own personality and in the personalities of others and in the conditions of the world around us. <clears throat> so we have a lot of good evidence for our discontentment and our dis-ease and discomfort in life. So hopefully um, we can work at uh, letting this center and the community that practices at the center and this particular tradition of practice to let it be a symbol or a reminder that maybe there's another way. Uh, instead of believing all our thoughts that support discontentment and support unrest, dis-ease in the heart, that maybe there's another possibility. And one of the specific trainings and the specific reasons we come together once a quarter is to, as a community, take the refuges and the precepts to reaffirm our intention to wake up to um, the heart, to learn about this heart-mind that's right here, and to use a set of, uh, to, to engage a particular container, which we don't always like, um, like the container of showing up at a, a place like Calm Ground or showing up to your daily quiet time meditation practice or taking on a set of guidelines or training rules like the five precepts, which I'll be talking about today. So we voluntarily, intentionally take on some things in order to learn what we wouldn't otherwise be able to learn. So if we take on the precept of not harming other beings, well, that creates a certain tension in our life when the mosquitoes land on us or when somebody's really irritating us and we want to put them in their place. And uh, that's exactly the kind of tension we need because otherwise we simply act out our habit. Ajahn Sumedho, uh, somebody that I'm really appreciating his teachings now, he says, he talks about sila or these trainings in ethical conduct, morality, as the science of goodness. And another um, elder in the Western Dharma scene, Aiken Roshi, a Zen teacher um, on Hawaii, I don't, he may be retired now, but he calls it the hallmark of human maturity. So, Although they can seem a bit uh, simplistic and uh, like, well, you know, been there, done that, when you think of something like thou shall not kill, 
which is the Christian version of non-harming. You know, I undertake the training to not harm, to refrain from harming living beings. It can seem a little simplistic, but it's a pointer to some natural uh, quality of the heart when the heart isn't confused by our self-centeredness, by our self-centered view. So we have to uh, take on the training with a certain amount of respect that we may not understand the container completely. In fact, until we really engage the container, like take on the five precepts or one of the precepts as part of our life, really engage it, we might not understand what it's even pointing to exactly. We may just start with the sense that hey, this seems pretty wholesome to undertake the training not to take what isn't freely given or to undertake the training not to harm or to uh, refrain from sexual misconduct or harm people, harm ourselves or others through our sexual activity. So in a way, the precepts, this spiritual maturity or the science of goodness is finding, uh, discovering the actions, the thoughts, the words that are in alignment with clarity or wisdom, non-fear, non-confusion, non-attachment. This is really the work of sila practice. So I thought today I'd talk a little bit about the second precept in particular. And uh, I find it so rich and, you know, superficially it's just a practice of refraining from stealing, which probably for a lot of us we think we're pretty good at that. But it just depends what we mean by stealing. So we can broaden it and say it's undertaking the training to refrain from taking what isn't freely given. But it really comes down to understanding how to live with contentment in life. Understanding the causes for taking what isn't freely given, for hoarding, for being jealous and envious. Sometimes, uh, one time I heard the Dalai Lama say, or uh, write that, uh, that as human beings we have a tendency of being quite content with our spiritual efforts and discontent with what we have. And he suggested that we should practice being content with what we have and discontent with our spiritual efforts. <laughs> so let's just think about um, these trainings in, on three levels. This is a typical way that as a Buddhist we reflect on these precepts to encourage the mind not just to deal or address it on a superficial level. So the deepest level we look at this second precept of not stealing is understanding how a heart, how this heart would naturally, effortlessly express contentment not taking what isn't freely given or naturally effortlessly express generosity and simplicity when it's not clouded by self-centered fear or self-centered craving. What would that look like? And to actually reflect, and we can do this right now, just to reflect in our own lives those moments 
where our heart felt relatively unencumbered by fear and greed. And just to reflect on the kind of thoughts and words and actions that we expressed. So this, you know, those moments when we feel content and when there feels there's this uh, quality of inner abundance. So we're not in the world like a hungry animal, seeking recognition from others, words of praise, a smile, not really looking for anything in the world because of this feeling, this recognition of inner abundance or a sense of completeness or wholeness in the heart. Now, I'm not saying that we often touch that place, but I would imagine there are moments in all of our lives where we've gotten some flavor of this wholeness or contentment. And so the pre- on one level, this training that we undertake for the second precept is just learning to recognize these moments where this precept is effortlessly expressed, this natural giving, this natural simplicity, this natural freedom from neediness is naturally expressed, where we're receiving what the moment is offering, and we're naturally fully responding to the moment in the way that feels just right. And so to practice this, to encourage this level, and this is just one of three levels. This is the more subtle of the three ways to practice any of the precepts, is to recognize when it's being naturally expressed, just to recognize that. And one way to encourage that is to just uh, see like what's beautiful in any moment. And you can do this right now. I mean, here we are together. It's very easy. We all have reasons to be in a funk. We could think of reasons to be in a funk. Or we could uh, um, encourage our perception of what's beautiful now, like the sound of the birds. Or the, um, you know, maybe for you, these teachings seem really reasonable and wholesome, and you could just appreciate the beauty of that. Or just seeing the people in the room. You know, how nice it is that a group of people might like to come to Common Ground and do what we're doing today, and how nice it is to be around them. Or just appreciating our health that we have, that we're able to be here. So it's possible to, to train the mind, to encourage the mind to see the beauty in the moment, however simple that might be. And just that recognition of beauty or mudita, seeing the beauty in others, the success and happiness in others, that's mudita. If we can encourage this perception in the mind, then we'll have moments of that effortless giving and receiving, which is really the ultimate expression of the second precept. And then in a more practical way, less subtle way, we can work with these precepts by Reflecting on, for example, the second precept, non-stealing, not stealing, or 
not taking taking what isn't freely offered. And we can turn it into some ideal that we aspire to. Now, it's really easy for us, as I mentioned, we have this critical mind. So it's really easy for us to turn this into a vehicle to judge ourselves. Like we see, you know, I look in my closet and I see how many pairs of pants I have. And it occurs to me, oh, you know, I'm greedy or something like that. And then I could spin on that and uh, whip up some self-centered drama about being a bad person because I have so many of this thing, or I need that, or I'm jealous of this person or envious of this person. <clears throat> so when we create an ideal to aspire to, it's not, uh, it's not meant to be something to use to hate ourselves or to judge ourselves. But we create an ideal. It's very interesting about the mind. When we have a thought in the mind, uh, you know, thoughts are a very interesting phenomenon. They're the cause for so much delusion. Our concepts and thoughts are the cause for so much delusion. But they can also be used in the service of awakening, of non-delusion. And so when we bring a wholesome thought to mind, like generosity or contentment, or simplicity. It can be a gateway for us, like as a, a almost like a, a seed form in a seed form, or, or like a what do they call it in physics, a wormhole, where you can just bring this concept to mind, this image, this word to mind, and it's there's a seed of that actual experience in the word itself. And that's really part of working with an aspiration. So obviously, a lot of the times, we're not able to express contentment perfectly, effortlessly, or generosity, simplicity, non-greed, perfectly, effortlessly. So we need to aspire to it. So we bring to mind a memory of a time when it felt more effortless or more pure, or just the thought, just the concept of non-greed or contentment or simplicity. We just bring that to mind. Or maybe for the way we do it, we bring to mind somebody who symbolizes that for us, who stands for that. And then the key for that not turning into the cause for judgment or self-hatred or envy is to then, uh, with that concept, with that thought, to come right into the present moment basically to see however uh, however subtle or indistinct it might be, to see the presence of contentment or simplicity or generosity right now. And it's actually in the looking. And it's very, we have to be careful with these aspirations because we can easily turn them, as I mentioned earlier, into the negative. So when we come into the present moment, we're not fixating the mind on our greediness or on our neediness or the complexities in our life or our wanting this and wanting that. We're specifically looking at the possibility of simplicity or the possibility of contentment. Even today in my sit um, earlier this morning, I was just having a lot of pain uh, come up for me. and. Uh, just a lot of uh, complicated emotions 
difficult emotions. And so I, I did this practice. This was on my mind. And so I just did this practice. I specifically looked for the possibility of contentment in the midst of that storm, in the midst of that difficulty. Is there contentment here? Is it possible here? Because we normally, when we have the idea of contentment, we get uh, often fixed on what the, the specifics of what that would look like. But that's not the practice of aspiration. The practice of aspiration is uh, aspiring for this quality, this wholesome quality here and now, that it's possible now. So that's the confidence or the faith that these wholesome, these things we aspire to, whether it's freedom or something more specific like contentment or non-greed, that we can aspire to that now, that it's available now in the heart with these conditions as they are now, that we can begin to move in that direction. And in a way, this is the real heart of spiritual practice, the working with aspiration, having some sense of what we're aspiring to, some sense of what the um, <clears throat> purpose of a spiritual life or spiritual training is. And instead of fixating on what's wrong here and now, we remember what might be possible here and now. And we aspire to that by finding it in the moment. And the interesting thing about these wholesome states, if we can see even a sliver of contentment, just the seeing of that sliver of contentment is the cause for the contentment to strengthen and deepen and widen. Because if we are aspiring to something that's true, something that's inherent, then seeing it in a way allows whatever is covering it up to fall into the background. So whatever self-centered fear or neediness that is swirling about us, if we can touch a, a sliver of contentment, then those um, that self-centered drama tends to uh, disperse, fall away a little bit, and we get we get more clarity of this inherent quality of contentment or wholeness or peace. So just to review this particular training. <clears throat> so the first training is to recognize moments where contentment and simplicity and generosity is just being effortlessly or relatively effortlessly being expressed. And to just appreciate those moments and to rest. Not that it's going to last forever, but to completely surrender or give ourselves to those moments of contentment or generosity or fully receiving what's being offered to us too. And then the second training is more active where we realize that there is discontent and we're suffering from it. So we aspire to contentment. We aspire to generosity, to a life of giving and receiving effortlessly, to simplicity, to being content without needing a lot, just being content with what we have. 
And so that is all about having that aspiration and then dropping into the present moment and seeing the seed of it here and now in the present moment. So that's the key is to formulating the aspiration based on our experience, what we have known from our own experience, or what someone has told us that really resonates with us. So the Buddha maybe mentions this possibility of contentment or dispassion or renunciation. The joy of renunciation is something the Buddha talks about all the time. The happiness, the, the very profound happiness of not needing conditions to be other than they are. And so we, on some level, even if it's quite confused, we, we recognize that that of real value, that it might be available to us. And so then we drop into the present moment and we listen, look for it, open to that possibility. And then the third aspect of training with the precepts is the practice of restraining. So we have the practice of expressing it freely, effortlessly, the practice of aspiring to this precept, and then the practice of restraining what's unwholesome, what's not that precept. So restraining ourselves from greediness restraining ourselves from envy and jealousy. So it's important to understand what this means. Because again, this could very easily uh, become some practice of aversion. And as I'm sure you know, we don't need to practice aversion. Most of us have that well conditioned. (laughs) So this restraining isn't about aversion. It's really, if you can imagine the perfect parent, the wholesome, wise parent, and how that parent would restrain their child from doing something harmful. And in in that same spirit, that that parent is alive in us, that really wise, loving, compassionate, caring parent. And so the way we talk about that in Buddhist practice is hiri otapa are the words for that, wholesome fear and wholesome regret. So these are aspects of wisdom. When we are in a situation where we might act out in an unskillful way, like with jealousy, or taking more than we should be taking because we feel needy. I've always wanted that, you know, and so we want to take it. You know, I love these pens. They've got so many of these pens here. No one's going to care if I take one of these pens. <laughs> I, it's amazing, even as an adult, adult how I justified those th- I mean not, I'm pretty good now but <laughs> as a young adult I got a I got a job in, in a consulting firm right after college and they had you know they're really into impressing the clients so they had a lot of nice stuff around and I just I just noticed you know like uh, you could walk into the supply room and there were all these sort of nice things there <laughs> I just sort of seeing my mind you know wanting more than I needed and I noticed a lot uh, not that long ago that this dictionary that I have is from Strategic Planning Associates, <laughs> my first employer. I decided to keep it as a reminder. <laughs> I mean, it's out of date as a dictionary, but it just, you know, how we can so easily justify these things. So we want to... Uh, we want to notice what's alive in us, this wholesome fear that comes up. Now, it may be just a quiet voice, but if we water it, it can be very loud, where when we start moving towards greediness, this wholesome fear comes up, like, 
Honey, you do not want to go there. This is not good for you or anybody to go there. Or if we do act out our greediness, our neediness, and then the mother, the wholesome mother or father, says, Honey, do you feel what you're feeling? That's a yucky feeling, isn't it? Yeah. This yucky feeling has arisen because of that action or that thought or those words you spoke. That's how this comes to be. If that hadn't happened, this yucky feeling wouldn't be here. So wholesome fear and wholesome regret are simply the wisdom of karma, understanding how things work in life. And they, they kind of keep us uh, practicing, keep us training the mind in a direction that leads to more peace and ease in the world. Not just for ourselves, but for others too. So the, this third training in the precept of contentment or non-greed, this practice of restraining, it's really about listening to this wise parent in us, this wise parent that whispers words of wholesome fear and wholesome regret, and really uh, appreciating that wisdom, really letting it in and letting our actions in the world be guided by that. It, we can't go directly to freedom. We actually have to let our life uh, teach us. And the way our life teaches us is that if we're awake at least to some degree, then it generates wisdom. And this wisdom is generally um, speaks to us in the form of wholesome fear and wholesome regret. Not always. There are other forms of wisdom that arise. But the predominant, in the beginning, the predominant expression of wisdom in human existence is in the form of wholesome fear and wholesome regret where we really are learning from being burnt. And so we have that wholesome regret and wholesome concern that we don't do it again, that we don't act in that way again because we've gotten burnt in the past. So um, to whatever degree it makes sense in your life, I encourage you to take on these five trainings, the training in non-harming, the training in non-greed, the training in refraining from sexual misconduct, from uh, speaking, refraining from speaking in a way that's harming, from using intoxicants or other substances in a way that cloud the mind. So we uh, intentionally enter this training, these, this container, to help us wake up to what is actually wholesome or skillful for us and what's not skillful. And we expect friction. You know, when we take on these trainings, you know, to the degree that we commit to them, we expect to bump up against the edges. That's the whole point. It should feel a little bit awkward and heavy to be wearing this container in our life. And it's like giving us a chance to reflect, because if we take on the training in non-greed, I undertake the training in non-greed, or to not take what isn't freely offered, when we commit to that, especially publicly, like we do on our quarterly at our quarterly gathering, when we commit to it, then you just notice yourself waking up in, in moments you know, where you're being greedy. 
I mentioned to uh, some people down in Northfield when I was teaching how that comes up, you know, after community gatherings and various events here, there are leftover cookies. And I mentioned how the cookies sit in the fridge, and often in the middle of the day I want some cookies. And it always occurred to me, occurs to me, you know, is it okay to take those cookies? Are they offered freely or not? So one of the people in Northfield made me, or made the center a cookie jar that says, freely offered a Buddhist cookie jar, freely offered. You can take a look, it's in the fridge. And there are cookies in there, and you're, they're freely offered. So she has instructions on the top that says, immediately after any community event, put any leftover cookies in this cookie jar to avoid you know, any confusion about it, whether they're freely offered. I don't know if that really takes care of it, but... But the point isn't to take the cookies or to not take the cookies. The point is to be listening carefully to see if there's any wholesome fear in taking the cookies. Like, is there any suffering that might be set in motion by taking some cookies? That's really the point, isn't it? It's not about becoming some perfect human being according to what you think or what you think other people think. That's not the point of these moral trainings. The point is to wake up to our life so we, can, we have a better chance of seeing if we're setting in motion suffering and confusion in our lives. That's the only point. And chances are if we're setting in motion suffering and confusion in our lives, then we're probably setting in motion for other people too. It's really hard to create suffering for ourselves without creating suffering for others. And, it is, and it's also really hard to eliminate, to undermine suffering for ourselves without protecting others. So when we do this practice well, we're naturally taking care of all beings. So I'll just end by reading a passage from Ajahn Sumedho in his book, The Mind and the Way. From his chapter, Themes for Daily Practice, he says, it's not very useful to think that we have to have the very best of everything, the best health, the best teacher, the best monastery, before we can start practicing the Dhamma. Very seldom in life do we ever find ourselves in a position where we really feel we have the best, because this is a very uncertain quality. At one moment, we might feel we have the best, and in the next, we might feel we have the very worst. The perception of the best is precisely that, a perception in the mind. If we are attached to this perception of the best, then if, then if we have less than that, we feel the conditions aren't good enough to practice. Maybe we think we're too neurotic. We, may, we make too many terrible mistakes in our lives. We say too many horrible things. Or maybe we look around and see flaws in all the teachers we meet or in the monasteries we go to. You can always find something wrong, something that makes it not quite fit the perfect image. And I'll skip down a little bit. So this is where our ability to reflect is most important. This is the way out of suffering. The way out of suffering is not through aiming to have the best of everything, but through being able to use wisely what we do have, the kind of character we happen to have with all its virtues and faults. And the situation we're in, whether we're a monk, a nun, or a lay person, rich or poor, employed or unemployed, the important thing is to reflect. Reflect on yourself, in your life, how you are living your life now. 
Is it terribly complicated? How could you simplify it? Are you always prone to looking for more or to creating problems about the way you happen to be living? Really be honest and look and ask yourself these questions. Try to use the practice of meditation to help you with your reflection. So we'll do the refuge, Refuges and Precepts ceremony now. And uh, even though it's a ceremony, really what we're uh, using this is uh, as an opportunity to reflect. So not just now, today, but throughout the next three months at home, just to use this system illuminate our life, to illuminate the actions and words and thoughts in our life, and to just discern better whether they're skillful or not, whether they're leading to suffering, stress for ourselves or not. So we do the refuges in Pali, the traditional language that this tradition of Buddhism has uh, used over the centuries. It's the lang- a language spoken around the time of the Buddha. And we'll chant the Pali. It's pretty simple. So if you're brand new, you might pick it up after a few of the lines. And then we'll read the English for the three refuges. And then on the second page and third page, we'll do the five precepts that I've been talking about today. We'll do it first in Pali. Then we'll read the English. And then we'll ask for a volunteer to read Thich Nhat Hanh, a Vietnamese Buddhist monk's um, interpretation or reflection on each of these five precepts. So if there's a volunteer who will read the first reflection, thanks, Sue. Hey, Christy, do you want to do the second one? Someone want to do the third? Scott, you want to do the third? Can someone do the fourth? Greta, and somebody for the fifth? Thanks, Helena. And Dave, if you just ring the bell when it says, that would be great. So everybody have the sheet? So in um, different ways in Buddhism, in Theravada Buddhism, there's both formal bowing, but also something called Anjali. It's less than a formal bow. And we do it a lot at Common Ground. Feel free to join if you'd like. So you can even hold your hands in this this position, this gesture, throughout the uh, 10-minute ceremony if you'd like. And it's just a... And you might notice that energetically it has this feeling of respect and reverence. And so... Uh, especially in this tradition, we're trying to make this transition from our habit of revering something external. And a lot of us have been trained, conditioned in that way. Even even if you're not sort of revering uh, deity, but maybe you revere nature in some sort of external way. And the whole point is not to say there is no beauty in nature, there is no God, but whatever is beautiful, truly beautiful, it's here and now. So when we revere, when we respect all the ceremonies, all the symbols, they're referring back to something here and now. And so we can call this the essence of the heart, or you can call it the divine, you can call it whatever you want. But the point is not to externalize it. So even when we use these kinds of gestures, to keep it grounded right here and now, not to idealize Uh, what we're revering or respecting, but to uh, let it be a mystery, and this mystery is always here and now. It's never abstract. And so uh, when we do Anjali, 
we either hold our hands here at the beginning. You might do uh, three formal bows, or just bring your head down to your fingertips like that if you want. So there's sort of different ways that we do it. So we'll begin with three bows, followed by a simple bow if you'd like, and then we'll chant the Namotasa three times. Namo Tassa Precept in Pali in English, and then somebody will read the um, Tikkan Han's reflection. So the first, Anati Pata, Veramani Sika Padang Samadhi I undertake the training to refrain from harming living beings. Aware of the suffering caused by the destruction of life, I am committed to cultivating compassion. 
finding a way to protect the lives of all beings. I am determined not to kill, not to let others kill, and not to condone any act of killing in the world, in my thinking and my way of life. This is the first of the five mindfulness trainings I vow to study and practice it. And the second. Adina Dana Veramani Sika Padam Samadhyami. I undertake the training to refrain from taking that which is not given. Aware of the suffering caused by exploitation, social injustice, stealing, and oppression, I am committed to cultivating loving kindness and learning ways to work for the well-being of all beings. I will practice generosity by sharing my time, energy, and material resources with those who are in real need. I am determined not to steal and not to possess anything that should belong to others. I will respect the property of others, but I will prevent others from profiting from human suffering or the suffering of other species on Earth. This is the second of the five mindfulness trainings. I vow to study and practice it. And now the third. Kame su mitchachara I undertake the training to refrain from causing harm through sexual misconduct. Aware of suffering caused by sexual misconduct, I am committed to cultivating responsibility and learning ways to protect the safety and integrity of individuals, couples, families, and society. I am determined not to engage in sexual activities without love and commitment. Preserve the happiness of myself and others I will do everything in my power to protect children from sexual abuse and to protect couples and families from being harmed by sexual misconduct. This is the third of the five mindfulness trainings. I vow to study and practice it. And now the fourth. Musawada Veramani Sika Padang Samadhyami I undertake the training to refrain from false speech. Aware of the suffering caused by unmindful speech and the inability to listen to others, I'm committed to cultivating loving speech and deep listening in order to bring joy and happiness to others and relieve others of their suffering. Knowing that words can create happiness or suffering, I am determined to speak truthfully with words that inspire self-confidence, joy, and hope. I will not spread information that I do not know to be certain. I will not criticize or condemn things of which I am not sure. I will refrain from uttering words with the intention of causing division or discord. I am determined to make efforts to reconcile and resolve all conflicts, however small. This is the fourth of the five mindfulness trainings. I 
and now the fifth. Sura Maria Madhapamaratana Veramani Sika Padang Samariyami I undertake the training to refrain from the misuse of intoxicants. Aware of the suffering caused by unmindful consumption, I am committed to the cultivation of good health, both physical and mental, in myself, my family, and my society, by practicing mindful eating, drinking, and consuming. I will ingest only items that preserve peace while being enjoyed in my body and my consciousness and in the collective body and consciousness of my family and society. I am determined, determined not to misuse alcohol or any other intoxicant or to ingest foods or other items that undermine spiritual growth, such as unwholesome TV programs, magazines, books, films, and conversations. I am aware that to damage my body or my consciousness with such poisons is to harm all beings. I understand that a proper diet is crucial for self-transformation and for the transformation of society. This is the fifth of the fine mindfulness training I vow to study and practice. And then we end with these two aspirations. Idang me silang magapanyanasa pachayo ho tu. May my conduct conduce to attainment of the highest fruits of liberation. Taking the three refuges, undertaking the five mindfulness trainings, and practicing the way of awareness and insight gives rise to benefits without limit. I offer to share all blessings and merit with my parents, teachers, family, friends, and with all beings everywhere. May this life and practice contribute to the great stream of causes and conditions leading to happiness, peace, and liberation for all beings. May all beings be happy. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.